Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside media executive Grail Hallett and Serie A specialist, soccer journalist, and OTB producer Sam Griswold. As we head to the end of this hellacious shit show of a year known as 2020 we at least have some great soccer to talk about uh, we have had as well uh, during the course of the year thankfully so uh here's hoping that 2021 we uh we can turn things around grail i know you're a beetle fan so it reminds me of that old paul mccartney lyric you know uh it's getting back to roll the dawn <laughs> and then john lennon just pipes in can't get no worse, worse. exactly no and, uh, exactly. and it looks like january is going to be a little worse but uh hang in there everybody um we got we got our today on OTB. Uh, we're going to talk about this guy, which kind of, you know, where we're at in this world. This guy always knows what's going on in the soccer world, gets us up to dates on lots of things, as well as what's happening in the world of COVID, which is our world, the entire world. Um, we, uh, we catch up with soccer journalist and a friend of ours here at OTB, Grant Wall. He's put together a fascinating podcast series called American Prodigy, the Freddie Adu story. Absolutely riveting. Uh, as many of you know, soccer folk, Freddie was touted as the next Pele. Gee, what could go wrong there? And he was touted as a savior of U.S. soccer. And all of this before the youngster was even old enough to drive. So you'll definitely want to listen to that podcast and listen to our interview um, with Grant. I always get Grant and Grail mixed up uh, when I have you, you know, because you're always on the show, Grail. But uh, but yes. Grant, I, I'm always like, I, don't, I have to check myself when I'm Remember, saying Remember, he, he's far, smart, far smarter than I. He, he was, he's on the editorial side of SI, and I was on the ad sales side of SI. So we know who the brains were. Well, it's just hard for me in general. Never mind. Last night, I took an Ambien because I couldn't go to sleep because the world is burning and the president's golfing. 15 hours of golf. So it's <laughs> just ridiculous. So before we get started, guys, uh, on our last show of 2020, uh, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I'm over the digits two zero. Any combination of two zero. That's it. I'm over. I don't want to see it on the back of a soccer shirt. Just any combination of two zero. I need that just flushed. And I need to move on to something that includes a one. I think a lot of people will agree with you. I think people yeah. are going to be happy they were born in 2020 when it, when it comes to it. Sam, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Yeah, so I'm over something uh, pretty specific, but uh, I'm over the the way uh, referees give basically an automatic yellow card for any foul that breaks up a counterattack. And what I mean specifically is you see this all the time when – a guy is countering, he gets a little bit of separation from the defender and he cuts in front of the defender mm-hmm. and then basically just stops. He waits. And the guy runs into him, which is a foul, totally a foul, but I don't think it should be an automatic yellow card. Uh, I just think there needs to be a little bit of leeway. And I think is refs it, are or very is it a judgment quick. call. I mean, well, is I think it's it automatic sh- yellow. Well, I, I don't think it's written down that it's an automatic yeah. yellow, but in the games that I watch, um, it seems to be an automatic yellow, certainly in, in Serie A. Uh, and I think just a little bit of common sense needs to come into it. If guys get tangled up like that, sure, it's foul, but I don't think yeah. it needs to be a yellow. It's a great time. call, Sam, because I think, you know, players have become much more savvy. Mm-hmm. And when they get the step on the guy, but then they might realize that the guy chasing them might actually be faster than they are. Mm-hmm. You're right. They hold up to purposely have the guy bump into them. Well, I think it's a good yeah. play. I mean, it's it just is drawing a, a foul and it's drawing clever. contact. Sure. But I, I just 
don't think it needs to be a yellow. I think I a yellow needs to be a very a cynical foul on a counterattack. I mean, it, to yeah. me, that's just so different than grabbing a shirt. Grabbing a shirt to me is just so cynical, right? When yeah. a guy's go off yeah, to the races and you grab the shirt. Well, Look at every a- corner kick. You see it in slow motion. It's unbelievable. It's like you know, players. Yeah. Are, it's like you know, sodomy is being committed. Uh, but you know, another thing is these. I think people who don't know the game see a guy go down. And then you see it in slow motion replay and you're like, wow, okay. He, you know, stepped right on his Achilles tendon, you know, with his, with his foot. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's we've, tough. It's we've, a judgment call because it happens so quick and in real time. We've also talked about this just as, as players and pickup games. There's nothing more cynical than somebody purposely handballing it when somebody chips a ball to a guy that's wide open, right? Is there anything more annoying than the perp on purpose handball? by somebody i think you should just be set off the pitch and that's it for you at that point yeah i mean it's annoying in a pickup game but exactly that's what i was saying so yeah yeah, i mean just uh at least you can penalize it in a real game so uh all right so a lot a lot happening uh we got some mls news to talk about because this you know i've been everything i've been uh sort of looking at domestically is sort of through the lens of the podcast that we're listening to sam uh you've listened to more of this freddie adu story but Boy, it um, it's so indicative of where we were as a country in soccer. Uh, the story and poor everything was thrown on this poor fourteen-year-old kid's shoulders. Um, but but a very a very interesting story. I've been I've really enjoyed it. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm loving it. Um, I've heard all the episodes so far. I was furious I didn't get an episode this week. I have to wait till next Tuesday. The last the, one, right? You're the last one. It? But yeah, um, I mean, in addition to just illuminating the Adu story on its own, I mean, it just it's such an interesting story about the growth of soccer here, MLS, and um, yeah, just kind of our general sports even on its own culture, but, you know, more specifically soccer. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's got me, it's got me thinking about a lot, which is, is cool. It, and development and the infrastructure and everything that uh, comes with it. And the, you know, we, Grail and I are both older than you. And so I, I just think sometimes our perspective is different. I'm just so happy we have a league. I'm still thankful mm-hmm. that we have a place to play, you know, because like say Grail, when we were playing, you, there was nowhere to play. No. Um, you so, had to take your tight shorts to indoor soccer. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Man, I look at some of those, some of those pictures. Oh my oh god! Oh my god! To flitting in a diaper in Fort Wayne or wherever the heck you were. <laughs> Fort Wayne, Kalamazoo, <laughs> uh, Fort Lauderdale. Um, so a couple of things interesting. You know, we talk about old players now. Were the young players? Uh, you know, in, in our day, Grail, but former U.S. Men's National Team teammates, Josh Wolf. And Claudia Reyna are teaming up again at Austin FC and our friend um, Adrian Healy. Yeah, it just feels like on paper, again, who knows what's going to happen, but like they're making all the right calls down there as a new franchise. Like they're bringing yeah. in good people. It just, I don't know, it just feels like they really know what they're doing down there. And uh, I just I just like their chances because, uh, you know, Josh Wolf played for some great coaches. He played for Bradley and Gansler and Arena. So he's got, and he was a good assistant coach in his own right. And Claudio obviously had his success with New York City FC. Uh, they're kind of contemporaries. It's exciting. I think it's just really exciting for Austin. You know, the, the what a great that city. Uh, yeah. Exactly. I, I feel the same way, Grail. I think it's going to yeah. be great. Uh, you know, it seems like every MLS franchise learns from the one before uh, that comes online, you know. So um, even we're talking about Columbus last week where, 
you know, that stadium was state of the art and it was a soccer stadium. Now it's actually, they've built a new one and, and mm-hmm. there've been many stadiums built since. So uh, it's growing um, here in this country, just never as fast as we want it to, but, uh, but it's happening. Speaking of Columbus, Bradley Wright Phillips is heading to Columbus. Uh, LAFC passed on picking him up uh, in his option. So he was a comeback player of the yeah, year. That last was interesting. Season. Wasn't yeah. it like LAFC, like, like of all, of all the teams that could probably use a proven consistent player um i just i just i i I just thought it was odd you know that they uh maybe i shouldn't say that about lafc that's really not a fair statement but anyway the guy comeback player of the year eight goals you know six assists i'm like why wouldn't you re-up well i just don't think there was enough bang for the buck there i mean he's obviously a player but he's on the tail end of his career a lot of mileage on those legs so um... Uh, 116 mls goals i was really surprised when i saw that that's like that's those are big numbers i remember you know back watching red bull games man that dude could finish so yeah uh, um so yeah, Columbus gets better. So they have like Zardes backup now. Now they have a great guy to come off the bench or if Zardes gets injured or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Columbus that, gets better. I mean, they were already obviously the winners. Of right. the That's league, a great so. sign for them. Yeah. That's a great signing for them. And I think, you know, that guy comes on in the 75th minute uh, to replace Zardes. There's, you know, he's going to cause a lot of trouble. Um, speaking of goals and, and great goal scores and uh, just a great uh, part of MLS history is Wando. He's uh he's he's bringing 166 Coming goals. Back. He's back for another season. He's it's like Al Pacino in Godfather Three. <laughs> yeah, they keep bringing me back. That was the cue for you, Flinny, to do your Pacino. By the way, uh, Pacino. I could do Brando, man. Okay, <laughs> I don't want Brando. Why didn't you come to see me before? It's all you know. Um, you, you know me. I've been I've, I've been kind of harsh on Wando. I just can't get over the miss against was it Belgium in the World Cup? Yeah, but I think I that, know. It, it's, yeah. I got I, I'm over it now. I he mean, the guy has 166 great, goals for God's sakes. He's been a great pro, a great teammate great pro. These guys, a, a mentor to so many people. Uh, Wando has had a fantastic career. You know, just you, a great club career. Right. And just, just uh, from all that I have heard, just a great person as well. So it's, uh, I'm glad he's still playing because, you know, once you start playing, once you stop playing, those legs tighten up real quick and uh, you, you can't do it anymore. He's 37 man. years old. I said, oh my God, only to be 37 years old. I mean, he's like, he's like the old guy in the league at this point. And I want to hear a little bit more about uh, this from, from Grant Wall when we have him on. But, but Messi kind of dropped an MLS hint, which uh, should be nice. Um, but, you know, Sam, one thing that you had mentioned uh, off air was how MLS is mentioned as sort of a, an entire entity, not, not like a team. Um, yeah, like talk talk about that a little bit. Sort was, of, I, I never thought of that. It sort of bugs me a little bit sometimes. Uh, th- I could have been over this this week, you know, um, but <laughs> went with something else. But you know, it, it maybe I'm thinking of it in the Europe from the European perspective. But it's like if so and so is linked with a few teams, that's he's linked with PSG, Man United, and MLS. Right. It's not, they don't name a specific club. It's just like this idea that he's like going to go to MLS and, you know, the same way in Italy, they mention you know, China or Qatar in that same way. They never mention the specific teams. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, in in China and Qatar, I wouldn't know any of the teams. So it kind of makes sense. But um, I, you know, I know the league works differently with contracts and player signings and everything, but it just, I don't know. It just kind of bugs me sometimes because I feel like it's this idea, like you're done, you know, Oh, we went to MLS, like you're done. Um, so yeah, Sammy, just something I'd know. I think it's just because the, the franchises haven't 
they don't have the history yet to be thought of as, you know, he's going to enter or he's mm-hmm. going to a, a, Milan or what, you know what I mean? I mean, I just feel like that's so baked in because there's been a hundred years of history there. Mm-hmm. And, and with, and with our league, it's still so young mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't quite have that, that not credibility, but yeah, I just, I just, I, I think it's still thought of as a league. Well, well Grail, this yeah. is right. This is right in your wheelhouse. Cause it yeah. seems like when you, if Messi is coming to MLS, yes. you know that, uh, Don Garber and the infrastructure of MLS will be all over that deal. Where I think oh, yeah. what Sam's saying is, if if Messi's going to PSG, yeah, the head of the French uh, you know, Ligue 1 is not getting involved in the deal. It's the particular team which is negotiating a contract for Messi sure. here. Just like like the Freddie Adu story, right? Uh, Sam, you know, mm-hmm. where where basically MLS decided he was going to. He's from DC. He's going to play for DC now, mm-hmm. um, and the MLS was all over that. I felt team. like but Ebra. I, I, feel, I felt like MLS pushed Ebra as well outside of just sure. The they team. To get the most they, bang well, for because, the back. Again, from a marketing perspective, the MLS, not MLS, I should say, is looking to build something um, in a far different way than a than a league that that exists and it doesn't, the league doesn't need to be promoted. I mean, mm-hmm. Syria doesn't necessarily need to be promoted. I mean, it's like, it's Sam would, Sam great. would differ on that one. Well, yeah. I mean, you tell me, Sam, I mean, I'm or the, or the premier league is just considered to be a great league and a lot of people want to play in it. And then it mm-hmm. comes down to the actual teams. I, I just feel like MLS is, you know, maybe it gets to that point. Yeah, I think you're right, too, about the individuality of the clubs. I think I, I remember some article I was reading, someone was complaining about how it looked like every MLS logo was invented by, you know, the same marketing company, which maybe they were. Yeah. But it all kind of it. It's more of a collective, I think, than, you know, these yeah, and you know, and, and from a league standpoint, if, if a Messi were to come here, you don't want to mm-hmm. undersell him by pitching him as a franchise specific player necessarily in the local market you do mm-hmm. if he came to new york city fc new york city fc obviously they'll promote the hell out of him here but it's really the, the branding i would think be would be messy is coming to mls mm-hmm. because Just every every time and they will basically stack all the broadcasts so that messy will be the featured game every time MLS is on. Because and he'll sell tickets. You know, yeah. that's like, uh, you know, they said that's how MLS derives most of their income. So here's yeah. an MLS connection that you'll be interested in, Sam. Um, a couple of things. Actually, Brian Reynolds, uh, some some interest from, um, from Juve. Yeah, uh, so I was checking this out in the Italian press this week, but Juve and Roma are actually interested in um, this 19-year-old FC Dallas defender, Brian Reynolds. Uh, and- By the way, did Jimmy Pilata sell Rome? Yes. Yeah. To another American, uh, this guy, uh, Friedkin from Houston. Um, so yeah, this, uh, this kid Reynolds apparently on his way to Europe, maybe to Juventus. The idea was that he may go to Cagliari in January. Um, I think that's where Alexi Lalas played, didn't he? Uh, no, he, uh, Caligiri. No, not Gaia. He was somewhere else. No. <laughs> no I'm please. trying to talk stop. Italian to Sam. Stop, stop. You're, you're messing me up. Uh, I'll, I'll remember. He played for Pro Calciari. I'll remember where Lalas played, but it was not Gaia. Uh, you may have to clear up a, a spot for a foreign player on their roster. So the idea was he may go to Gaia for the end of the season and then go to Juve in the summer. But Romar are also interested and apparently has an offer to play uh, with Bruges in Belgium too in January. So nice. looks like for Gooch, I think Gooch played there. On way, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but it's cool, I think, and I think you're really already seeing the uh impact of Weston McKenney in Italian soccer because this is another kid from FC Dallas, 
And, you know, McKenney's had a really, really good um, start to life at Juventus. And uh, there was even an article that you guys won't be able to read, but um, in an Italian soccer magazine called Rivista Undici this week. Well, I, get that, I get that every week. <laughs> well, it only, it only comes out four times a year. But um, yeah, the article is titled How I Fell in Love with Weston McKenney. And uh, it's, a, it's a great story about how, you know, this, this guy Federico Sadika, the writer, talks about... Um, McKenney sort of being this very modern player, very versatile, can play anywhere, brings a lot of like joy and team spirit to the field. And it's funny because in Italy, joy is not often a word you hear associated with the no. game. It's more of a more, more of a with grind food. sometimes. Yeah. Work. Yeah. It's just work. Exactly. Defense. Um, <laughs> Cardinazio. So so it's cool to see. I mean, I, I'm always nervous about Americans playing abroad. And, uh, you know, I have this chip on my shoulder. Like, I think we all do a little bit, but this is great to see. Definitely. So, uh, yeah. so uh, this is some bad, sad news, but I mean, it's not to be unexpected. FIFA scraps men's and women's under seventeen, under seven twenty World Cup slated for twenty twenty one and moves them to twenty twenty three. Yeah, well, well I, it, you know, yeah, I, mean, I guess because of COVID, right? So. In Peru, Indonesia, the women's tournaments were on the other side of the world. I mean, you just can't control stuff, and again, player safety being the number one thing, you can push it back a couple years. Hopefully, things will be better. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's. I mean, you, you can imagine being one of the kids on those teams it would be devastating. Right. Yeah, everybody's but, uh, crushed. But it's, you know, it seems like the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's almost like no choice, I think. So, Sam, I know you love to watch um, youth tournaments and play. So what are you going to be watching if you can't watch those games? Well, I yeah, I probably would have watched these games, I guess. But it, it sort of bugs me that these you know, youth tournaments and soccer aren't more widely publicized and a bigger deal. Um, I, I've been thinking of this, especially this week, because as I said last week, I'm taking a week off from soccer and uh, I've been watching the world junior hockey tournament, which is taking place up in Edmonton, which is maybe the tournament I look forward to most every year. Really? And I, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously different in hockey because most kids are going to the NHL and there, a lot of them are already drafted. So it's, it's sort of easier to have everything in one place, um, but I, I just wish with soccer, there was some kind of youth tournament that garnered more attention and got people psyched about soccer. Uh, and I think especially it's a big sort of opportunity here in the U.S. that we should do something like this. Um, you know, I mean, they, like Little League World Series, I think championship was the most watched baseball game of any game last year uh, in 2019 when they we're still mm -hmm. playing. I mean, like people love these tournaments and I think there's, mm -hmm. there's the potential to do something cool, but yeah, so far, I, I, I don't know. To see the next great thing, you know, and, and um, the podcast we're listening to grants, grants, uh, Freddie, Adu podcast. They talk about Freddie playing in the under 17s and there was actually no way to really watch him. It was really hard to, and Rob yeah. Stone, who was at ESPN at the time with all their facilities and all they had, he said, e even he couldn't, find it they were trying to figure out ways to sort of watch the game on and they have you know world satellites and all kinds of other things but people love to watch young players to say oh i saw him when mm -hmm. I saw him when and you watch and you try to to sort of see a player and this is what i'm saying about about with with not to, we can't talk too much about freddie because we have a grant coming up but Boy, how do you assign a kid to a pro contract at 14 years old? I, I know in, in the development, when I was playing, nobody was, you didn't know what a person was going to be like physically, mentally, mm -hmm. um, maybe skill wise, but skill can leave you if you're not, uh, you know, physically don't develop into yourself there. Yep. 
I think one, one thing I, I love about this hockey tournament, and you've mentioned this a, a bunch before, Kevin, is, you know, creating, not creating, but telling the backstories of these players so you get yeah. to know guys in U.S. soccer uh, and form a connection with them. And I think what's so cool is you you learn where these guys go to college, you you kind of hear about their whole backstory, and then you can follow them and yeah, see right. how they kind of develop. And like, you know, every year I'm like, oh, yeah, that kid was so good three years ago. Like, what's he doing now? I mean, Sam, and, that's that's how I got introduced to Jack Hughes. I'm a devil's hockey fan mm-hmm. and Jack Hughes was in the world juniors I guess it was two years ago and you know there had been a lot of buzz about him and his brother who's mm-hmm. an excellent defenseman as well mm-hmm. yeah, and you're exactly right because I, I kind of came into that tournament just knowing who to look out for yeah and really exciting to see them perform on that stage yeah. you know um you know you mentioned that Sam in 94 when I worked for ESPN what I wanted to do was to show the players and their personalities and their backgrounds and so mm-hmm. I tried to do sort of funny entertaining stories that sort of i discovered uh you know lexi lexi was a walking soundbite he was just fantastic copy um you know andrew shoe was on melrose place at the time we played a little pickup with jeff agus and his personality came out and claudia was a shy kid and um you know at uv at uva and the career he had i think if people know these things like you said instead of watching just 22 people moving around a pitch you're actually like, oh, that's Sergino Dest. He plays for Barcelona. He had a great under-20 tournament team. His father is Dutch. His mother, you know, this is why you get get um, you get excited about things. You have um, some empathy for the kids, you yeah. know, the players. You you know, you know their backstory just a little bit, and you watch them play. So I think that's a great point, Sam. I think I think maybe the development in this country and the interest in this country is to people uh, is for people to get excited about players early. And even this is, again, we go back to college all the time where it's just such an undervalued commodity. Well, I think that that's a real, you know, we can get into this with Grant when we talk about, you know, ado and soccer expectations and what arriving as a soccer nation will look like. But, you know, I think knowing the backstories of these kids is one thing, but also being able to relate to them in some way is another. And, you know, when you're if you're watching a a team with a bunch of kids who are playing college, you're like, Oh, there's a UMass kid on the team. That's awesome. Right. You know, yeah. where versus, Oh, this kid moved to Europe when he was 14 and was sort of manufactured into this soccer star, which happens to 10 people, you know, if you're incredibly lucky. So I think I'm not saying you don't find empathy with those kids, but it's a little harder to relate to, I feel like, rather than well, someone that came all the way up through the this U.S. Is the system. This, yeah. this is the problem because classically United States sports have always been you go through college and the rare mm-hmm. kid who comes out of high school, right? So the difference with soccer is that that's just not the way the world operates. And, mm-hmm. you know, the United States always tries to put a square peg in a round hole. It's like we're just trying to force our story on something else. But in the development of a soccer player, we've realized at 14 years old, you should go to 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 germany or or to the netherlands you know it's just the way it works so hopefully the training is getting better and better here and i think we talk about weston mckinney that's a big reflection of that he developed stateside that was never uh, available before mm-hmm. it is possible here now you're definitely going against the odds but boy what Polisic did is against the odds as well but here we are we're talking about 10 players that are playing over there you know and yeah. it's uh it's uh it's 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 getting better, just not uh, not quick enough. So, all right, we want to get to Grant, but uh, Grail, do you want to talk about the EPL? Really yeah, quick? yeah. Well, you know, it's just the, it's, it's the crazy time. You know, it's the crazy yeah. time. Um, the COVID stuff obviously is looming over the league right now, and whether or not they decide to take a break in January will be interesting. We can we'll talk to Grant about that. 
but yeah, just, you know, just ups and downs. I just feel like, again, and I've, I'm a broken record, but I just feel like this season is going to be full of ebbs and flows. And if you win, Arsenal's won two matches in a row after just being abysmal, and now they're in 13th place. And that's the way the season's going to be. If you can rattle off three or four wins in a row, you're going to be in the top six. And um, again, I just, I, I think it's going to go right down to the wire. I don't think Liverpool is going to separate. I don't think anybody's going to separate. And then if you throw in the COVID thing and, and everything else, you know, Chelsea was playing great. Now they're not playing well. Everton wasn't playing well. Now they're playing well. There's like last, the, the last few seasons have been far more predictable. This is I, just going to be, yeah. which make, to me makes it very exciting. Exciting. Exactly. Open. That's, that's what I was going to say. It seems <laughs> yeah, like it's wide uh, open. It's more fun because you don't know, though I do I disagree a little bit because I do think Liverpool will pull away, not as far as they did in the past or Man City did or Leicester did. But I think, uh, hear me out. Look, he's dying to get in, Sam. But <laughs> hear me out. Um, they have so many injuries. They have so many injuries that the players are coming back. I mean, you got these guys sitting on the bench. You're like, whoa. You know, I think Klopp, I, I love Klopp. But I think Klopp is actually starting to become a problem for for them because he is so overly animated and over the top. He got a yellow card in the last match for uh, his 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 histrionics on the touchline. And yeah, again, but I think he did that. I think he did that to motivate his players. Fired. I I saw that coming. I really did. I don't know. So they, they they were in a bit of a funk, and he was fired up. I don't think it, all the complaining and stuff that's going on constantly helps his team, to be honest with you. I, again, I love the guy. I, I would, I would go through a wall for him as a player, I, but, uh, but again, um, I, it, it's fast. It's, it's just a fascinating season. I, I remember him. playing in college against UConn with the great coach, Joe Maroney. And when things weren't going well uh, for him and that team, he would start this you know, yell from the sidelines. He'd throw his clipboard down. The papers would go flying and fans would go crazy. He'd platoon sub six guys. And it'd be like, he totally changed the complexion of the game again. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, well, why don't you just put in 11 new guys? So I mean, um, who would have thought that man United would be in second place right now, just two points off the top and not playing terribly well, but just, you know, like finding a way to do it. Yeah. And Arlo white just keeps shitting on him. It's hysterical. I well, I mean, I do watch. So I watched that game yesterday against wolves. And again, there was nothing overly impressive and Rashford scored in the 93rd minute. It could have easily been a draw. So I'm just like, but, but again, it's not, you don't have to be pretty as long as you get, the yeah. points, that's all that matters. Right. At the end of the day. And as yeah. Mourinho teams have been known for, but the wolves, I enjoy watching them play. They have that real Portuguese flair, which, um, you know, it was a lot of my early training was that I just love the way the Portuguese play and, and a bunch of them are on the national team together. And yeah, um, yeah they, they're just fun to watch they're and, a good team. Uh, and yeah. well coached. So, okay. Anything else, Sam, before we go on here? Oh, we could, well, we can mention Thomas Tuchel is out as uh, manager of PSG, which is oh, that's big, big news. Pretty yeah, big story is... um, to be replaced by Mauricio Pochettino. I don't know if that's been uh, made official yet, but I, that, that should happen um, imminently. So Sam Tuchel is taking his cast and going somewhere else. Does he, by the way, is he still in that cast? He was in that foot cast for like three years. It was a while. I, What's I don't... on the crutches and the cast and the jumping up and down and the touch Maybe lines? they felt bad. They didn't want to fire him until he got it off or something. And it's like, oh, no, the, guy, the cast God. is, the no, cast is on the other foot now. Yeah. Well, Pochettino, like you have said, off-air grail has been very patient, waiting for oh, his next opportunity. And I God. think that is key because, you know, I watched Sam Allardyce. It just, just burns me that he's back 
on a pitch, just trying to get teams not to lose, trying to, you know, and the way Bob Bradley was treated, how horribly, and yet they throw Big Fat Sam in there again. Uh, you know, like nice. none, the most uncreative soccer, just, you know, 11 guys behind the ball. Six, just, the 6 4 formation, as Klopp called it. Yeah, and, and I don't blame him, you know, because it's like, try to play the game for God's sakes. <laughs> And he just keeps getting opportunity after opportunity. Even he was involved in embezzlement and kickbacks. And it's like, give me a break. English soccer, you know, just the, just their, their feeling of self-worth. It just drives me crazy. <laughs> I didn't know you felt this strongly about Sam Allardyce. Well, I mean, what do you think? No, I mean, about, about their, I remember uh, when I had the show on Sirius XM talking to uh, Rodney Marsh and, I said, Bob Bradley should be coaching. But he's like, oh, gee, gee, please. Oh, please. I, like, <laughs> I wanted to come across the table. And knock <laughs> this is sort of like, you know, here's a guy who's, you know, coached on the national team level, assistant coach for Arena, went to, you know, coached Egypt. They overachieved in many ways. You yeah. Know, all kinds of experience, won MLS Cups. And you laugh at him, yet big fat Sam Allardyce gets Sam his is the go-to 12 to 18 month. Please, please, please stave off relegation guy. <laughs> oh, it's just it's just like your wife saying what do we have tonight pasta it's like pasta oh yeah just, all right. just, 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 you didn't think about it too much yeah all right so all right so um let's uh, let's take a break here and we'll get back uh with the the great sports writer man i love this stuff on sports illustrated he was covering soccer um Gra- grail when you were back there at sports oh illustrated. yeah and the days it's when the you best fight for a soccer story and uh, he would get them in i remember like being you know oh my god there's a soccer story you know on sports illustrated so uh, he's uh, football with Grant Wall now. Was podcasting this new Freddie Adu story. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about that. Sam, I know you've been been, been enjoying it uh, quite a bit. I'm a little bit behind on the on the episodes, but man, I'm I'm really enjoying it as well. So you listen to OTB. We'll be right back with Grant Wall. Over the ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com/slash/join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro membership. It's just four dollars and ninety cents a month, or forty nine dollars a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, he's the longtime go-to journalist for soccer in this country, veteran of Sports Illustrated, uh, host of the podcast Football with Grant Wall, and most recently the host of, and creator of American Prodigy, the Freddie Adu story, which we talked a little bit about uh, up top. Just an amazing, amazing story. He's back on Over the Ball, Mr. Grant Wall. Grant, welcome to OTB. Yeah, good to be back with you guys. Uh, I think we can say Happy New Year, right? Oh, please, please. please. Let the year be over, man. Oh, <laughs> happy New Year for sure. Um, people are just so beat up and tired by the year. We're just trying to get through it. Uh, and your wife uh, is a COVID specialist, a medical person. And we'll get to, we'll talk about her in a little bit because, uh, you know, she's doing God's work basically at this point. And, and um, it's just so upsetting. Anyway, but we want to talk about soccer and this great podcast uh, that you have. Um, I'm a couple of episodes in. Sam, I know has uh, listened to all of them is waiting patiently for the last one to be released next week. Uh, Grail can't read or write. <laughs> um, but boy, what a fascinating story. First of all, you're, you're a great writer. Um, you really are. And I think you really lay out this story um, that all of us in the soccer world knew about, but we thought we knew Freddie would do, but we really didn't. And first of all, a couple things hit me right away was what a nice kid he is a nice young man. This, this kid is and to have all that thrust on your shoulders uh there's no way 
you succeed. There's no way you you make it. And listening to even just the first episode, I just was touched about how this this is an actual this is an actual success story. He was a success. His mother has never worked since, uh, you know, she was working two jobs when he was a little kid and he was raising his brother, you know, babysitting him and everything. So I, I just got such a um, such a good feeling in some ways. I don't know what lies ahead in the other episodes, but boy, uh, an amazing story. Uh, what has the feedback been so far uh, from some of your um, your listeners? And the feedback's been amazing, um, you know, which I really appreciate because we spent five months putting this podcast series together in isolation as you do when you create something. And so after spending that much time with it, this was a real labor of love. We started the interviews in early June, I think, uh, ended up interviewing two dozen people throughout June and early July. At that point, we had gotten a no from Freddie Adu about participating in the project, a polite no, but mm-hmm. He's never, he had never spoken in detail about the blow by blow of his career before. And, and I understand why, because a lot of it's painful, I think. And yet it doesn't come up across that way when you hear him speak. He's not bitter. I mean, and eventually we did convince him to change his mind and Freddie Adu participated, which has made this a much better series than it would have been without it. And mm-hmm. That process was an interesting one. You know, he had people close to him who I had interviewed for the the podcast go back to him and say, you really should consider participating in this because it's, mm-hmm. it's going to, it's trying to be the definitive Freddie Adu story. And I had always wanted there to be a 30 for 30 on, on Freddie Adu. And there, there never had been, which is why we did this. It's crazy. Which is crazy. Um, it hasn't been a 30-30 on this story. Well, he said no to them. And, oh, and so, oh. yeah. So, like, you know, ESPN's not dumb. Like, you know, they were yeah. like, yeah, we should do this. But, like, he, like it, it really took I, – I, I was very proud of it because it, I earned Freddie's participation with journalism. And, yeah. and then once – I wasn't sure it had been 10 years since I had interviewed Freddie. What would he be like? And, and this is where it gets pretty interesting in terms of um, what you're saying about, is this a sad story or not? Because I think most people would assume that it is. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, like about what could have been in terms of his soccer career, okay, yeah, because the expectations were set incredibly high and he didn't reach those. He didn't mm-hmm. win World Cups. He wasn't the next Pele. Right. But the actual life story... Um, of a kid who who grew up in Ghana and won the U.S. immigration lottery with his family and came to the U.S. at age seven and earned probably $8 million in his career, um, that's a pretty great life story. And so, you know, like even now, as Freddie has signed with his team in Sweden in the third division and is set to travel over there in early January, um, you know, this is, he's not coming to the national team, but he's playing pro for the first time in two years. And that's kind of inspirational from a love of the game perspective. He's still playing. And that's why we play. I mean, I, I played after and I wasn't getting paid. I loved it. And so, um, you know, I think it says a lot about you as a journalist because, you know, soccer people trust you. And as soccer players, especially from my generation, Grant, uh, um, Grail's generation as well, 
we're always a little bit, uh, we were always criticized and, you know, people who didn't understand the game would say things. So I think you're trusted within the soccer world. So I think that did a, a you know, a, a service for you and why he probably allowed you to do it. Also, I think a lot of his friends that you played with know you and know you as a soccer journalist and knew um, the take you would have on this thing. So he trusted you there, but to talk about like to do a podcast about a person who's still actually playing, I understand it because I mean, like I tried to give an award to uh, Conan O'Brien at the Nantucket comedy festival and he didn't want to. And, and he said he didn't want to because he goes, I'm still working. I'm still doing it. And when you do one of these things, it's almost like you're looking back on a career and everything. And the kid's still living his life and still being a productive citizen. So I could understand that, but man, he, uh, he jumped in and we're glad he did. Uh, Sam, did, did you want to ask a question? Yeah. 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 First of all, great. I love the podcast. Congratulations. Right. And, um, you know, beyond just the Freddie Adu story, which I found really interesting is just the sort of picture you paint of us soccer and MLS and the kind of evolution. And, um, it really, it really just got me thinking about a lot of things and, uh, you, you, answered this maybe a little bit already, but about the expectations and you, you know, uh, you put in the quote from Phil Knight about, you know, he could be bigger than Jordan and everything. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, what, what do you think he would have had to have done to achieve those expectations? I mean, you mentioned winning a world cup, but it was almost more than that. It was like, he had to make soccer, you know, the biggest thing in the U S and, you know, would that ever be possible? You know, even if he had won a world cup, I don't think one person can do any of that. You know, and I think this is sort of emblematic of questions we've heard all of us about American soccer over the decades, which sort of presume that there's some savior out there, some one figure who's going to take soccer to an entirely new level in the United States. You know, that's just not going to happen. The way a culture changes is a lot of different things happening that move things forward. And I actually think a lot of that stuff has happened over the years, but it's been a lot of different things. And, and Freddie Adu, before he had even played a professional game, at age 14, was in a national TV ad campaign with Pele. And adults made that decision. MLS was in a completely different stage of its development. It was down to 10 teams compared to 26 today. It was in danger of folding and they were latching on as a league to just about anything that could get mainstream attention. And here came this 14 year old kid with a lot of promise and talent. And I think people just sort of lost their minds a little bit. And, and I think, you know, it, it wasn't just MLS. I mean, like, it was also, to some extent, you know, it was other factors. You know, the people who represented Freddie, the decision to turn pro at 14, the, uh, the media coverage. When I look back at my own coverage, I don't think it was irresponsible. I mean, like, there's caveats in there about what could go wrong. But I probably overcovered him. I did, like, five stories in the magazine on Freddie Adu in 2003 and 2004. <laughs> And that was probably too much. And I, I don't think I covered Christian Pulisic the same way when he emerged in 2016. Um, and so there are some lessons there, I think, for everybody, including me. Uh, you, you mentioned also, Grant, how it's much easier for someone like Pulisic in Germany to sort of develop away from the spotlight and how everything here was just a do all the time. And I wonder, do you think that had to do with this idea that, you know, a do is going to be the 
you know, the star that we produced that came all the way through the American system to prove that we could do it. You didn't have to go to Europe when you were 14 to become that kind of player. I mean, I think this gets into sort of the dreams of American soccer fans. Mm -hmm. To some extent, those still exist, right? But I mean, like that, that we can create the United States, a global men's soccer superstar, just like all the traditional soccer countries. And this kid was going to be that. And so, yeah, I think we've like, there's always been this sort of insecurity among American men's soccer fans about all of that. Um, and so we, we've sought out these types of prodigies, you know, and I, and I think our culture is just obsessed with sports prodigies and that's not, mm -hmm limited to soccer. I mean, especially in the early 2000s, I was doing our first LeBron James story we put on the cover uh, at Sports Illustrated when he was 17. I remember, you know, Tiger Woods in the late 90s was a sports prodigy who also made it. Michelle Wee was coming out around the same time. There had been stories about Jennifer Capriati. I think she was on the cover of SI at age 13. Um, so it's something that we've always had a fascination with and some of these prodigies make it, some don't. And I think Freddie in particular, we set up to be almost certainly a disappointment because How those expectations were so high. And, and he, he bought into that too. So like first season in 04 as a rookie at 14, 15, he wins an MLS title, scores five goals, has three assists, plays in every game. And he felt at the end of the season, like he was a disappointment. You know, I, I think, yeah, exactly. Cause usually when you step onto a team and you're a young person, you learn from the older players, uh, they, they take you in and, and sort of you know, show you what it's like. They role model you a little bit when you're a superstar and you're making more than everybody else. It creates some dissension within the team. I'm sure you get to that in this as well, cause you're treated differently as a superstar and you're sort of, playing hurt and yet he's not playing he's making you know 10 times more than you and i also think america with we want everybody to be the best in the world from the united states you mentioned tiger woods and and um and lebron and the thing with lebron is to be lebron lebron came after will chamberlain elgin baylor oscar robertson john havlicek you know all this history that came before all these great players that were produced it was like it was like the game was invented on Freddie Adu, you know, and there's just no way to not fail. Uh, Grail? Yeah, uh, Grant, I want to pull that thread a little bit more. Obviously, expectations exist all around the world. Um, you know, I had the good fortune of living in England when I was younger. Sam spent time in Italy. So we've seen it, but I just, do you, do you think it's uniquely American, these incredible expectations we put on pretty much anybody in any field. I mean, we can go beyond sports. We can go to education. We can go into the, the scandal to get kids into college. Um, is it just kind of a microcosm of just the bigger issue of just what are the benchmarks for success? What's acceptable I mean, anymore? Right. I, I agree with you. I mean, at the end of, well, this month, actually, in December, I, Time Magazine didn't just release its person of the year. They also released their list of kids of the year and these like I, I it was like a a 14 year old you know who's doing Archer. these incredible things like and already is doing like work that a doctor would do 
And they even listed them from one to 10, like ranking kids. Like, and you're just kind of like, really? I mean, is that necessary? Um, They're just trying to get into Yale, I think. That's what they're doing. (laughs) And and so I, I think we do do that. As, as an American culture, I mean, I, I do think there is something global, though. I mean, Argentina's had how many next Maradonas now? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but you now this goes back to, I mean, even Pelé used the term Mozart to describe Freddie back in 2004. And I guess if you really want to take it all the way back to Mozart, like, yeah, child prodigy. He And we had fascination mm-hmm. with that. Um you know, with Freddie, he was in a league, MLS, that also, because it was so desperate for attention, required him to spend so much time promoting and doing interviews that a- another soccer league somewhere else wouldn't have had to do just to get attention. And so he wasn't working on his soccer very much. And, you know, DC United teammates at the time told me that, like, like, Ernie Stewart said he felt sorry for all of the promotional stuff, autograph signings that Freddie would have to do around a game. And he wasn't working on his soccer enough. And those, those are the years that Christian Pulisic has said were the most um, influential on him, you know, that 14 to 16 to 17 year old. And Grant, you and I have talked about this before. I had always noticed that a lot of the under 17 players, a lot of the under 20 players, guys who are at that age, getting the best coaching, best facilities, the best training, don't make it to the full side many times. The odds are against them, actually. And so, boy, this kid had a lot stacked against him. And I think you talk about a 30 for 30. Usually they end in some sort of cocaine-induced tragedy on the streets with a shooting or something. Not the case with, with young Freddie. And that's what, what, what I find so interesting about it. And that's also, you know, I, I asked Arnold Tarzi, his first youth coach in Maryland, who remains close to Freddie, about something Arnold said to me back in 2003 when I did my first story on Freddie, he had told me, I hope Freddie doesn't become a sad story. Yeah. And I asked him about that this time, you know, 17 years later. And I said, Arnold, I remember telling me this, like, do you think Freddie is a sad story? And, and he does not. And, and part of that is what you're saying here, which is we haven't seen bad behavior publicly from Freddie Adu. We haven't seen him (laughs) getting DUIs or doing some of the things we've seen other athletes do. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind. Absolutely. He's still playing and he's, and he's taking care of his mom. I mean, this, and this is a kid, like you said, from Ghana who, you know, who hit the lottery and um, most people don't pan out the way they're supposed to, but most people don't live this life, this, this sort of life, a nice constructive, uh, positive life that he's had so far. So that therein lies the crux. That's what, you know, cause people are looking for the big, um, that's what I find so interesting about your writing. It's such an interesting story yet. There's no, you know, crazy thing that happens at the end. He, you know, he buys a volcano, you know, plated in gold that he lives in and loses all his money. You know, there's none of that. It's just, it's just a soccer journeyman's uh, story. And uh, all, you know, I remember working at the Cosmos soccer camp and they had brought us uh a kid from Africa in who looked exactly like Pele. Pele brought him in to the camp and the kid could juggle like crazy. Could not play a lick. 
He was a horrible player. And I thought this poor kid, they would introduce him as the next Pele and he didn't want it, you know, and, and he would put on a little juggling ex- exhibition. And then we'd all scrimmage that night and be like, oh, dude, I'm, you know, take this guy and he can't do anything. I felt like so sorry for him. Um, you know, who could, you know, you mentioned Argentina, how many next Pele's there are. No, I mean, uh, Maradona's. Nobody wants that shirt. Nobody wants that jersey now. It's like, uh, give me number eight, you know, for a while. So, um, um, all right, so let's switch topics. So if you have not listened to this, you, you got to give it a listen. It's, it's uh, one of the best podcasts I've listened to. I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm two in. So uh, congrats on that. It's really some great work. And that's my dog. Uh, he, likes, he likes it too. He uh, likes Grail, I, I know you want to get to COVID a little bit. Yeah, so, so Grant, um, obviously a lot of concerning developments in the EPL. With COVID a couple of days ago, the Everton Man City match was canceled. There are some other matches that I think Fulham Spurs today might be kind of teetering. I don't know. If, I haven't seen the latest, whether or not that's been postponed. Um, and the EPL is talking about potentially a two-week circuit breaker, as they're calling it in January, to just shut down the league. Um, just curious, because you have kind of a, a, an inside look on this with your, uh, with your wife, uh, the Dr. Celine Gounder. Um, you know, what your take, what the level of concern is, because it just seems to be flying under the radar this time. I don't know if it's because we've got fatigue, but it's a big deal and we're not hearing a lot about it. Yeah, I mean, the this variant of the virus that is more contagious in England is a real problem. And that's what I'm told by my wife. Um, now, she's not a huge soccer fan, but... She's certainly shared with me the concerns that are out there about variants, mutations. There's another one in South Africa. And there's certainly concerns about a variant in the U.S. potentially. I think it hit Uh, Colorado yesterday, Grant, actually. They have a. Yeah. I mean, that's the first detected case. But like part of the issue is, is that the U.S., which doesn't spend enough money on public health had the capability all along of doing genomic testing to find out, Oh, are there variants here and there and there in the U S but they just weren't, the U S wasn't doing it. And so we're only starting to now, but because the variant has been around for a few months now in England where they actually do spend money on genomic testing, um, the feeling among experts is that, this variant from England has been in the U S for a while. And then the question is just how much, and because we're a country of 330 million, much larger than England has our own variants potentially come up in, in parts of the country where we've seen real spikes. Um, And so hopefully we'll be finding that out in the coming days and weeks, but January is going to be, a disaster with the virus in the U.S., likely elsewhere, and certainly potentially in England. So, like, I'm at a point now where if if the Premier League got shut down for two weeks and we got that announcement today or tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we won't, but um, it's it's in a, the virus is in a really bad place right now. Hey, great, Grant, just, a, just a quick follow-up. Um, I've been really impressed with the managers on this. I saw Sam Allardyce interviewed uh, Roy Hodgson, very just 
really impressive, very measured. There's nothing more important than people's health. If we can't, if we shut down, we shut down. Anyway, just, I thought their tone was exactly what we need right now. And I feel like we've evolved on the topic. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised when Nick Saban actually said all the right things a few months ago, you know? Um, then he came down with it, I think. Didn't he? And then he kind of didn't. And it was kind of a weird one. Uh, <laughs> but, but I like, actually, I, I don't think there's too many coaches out there in any sport at this point where I, I've thought to myself, that's totally irresponsible. There's a few, some in college football in particular, like the university of Florida coach, I think stood out. Um, in a good way or a bad, in a way? bad way, in a bad way. Um, but um, Florida you know, where it's spiking, you know, like it's going through right. the roof there. So. But like, you know, and I think when I look at its sports leagues, there's certainly isolated cases like, you know, with the Dodgers letting that guy play, who, you know, the Justin Turner player of the day. Yeah. The, the, when yeah. they won it and celebrate with the team, that was outrageous, but that was fairly isolated. And, and I think when you look at, at most of the sports leagues, including in the U S the response has actually been more or less pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, they, everything we've heard about uh, this virus, you know, oh, the odds are it won't be bad. And then you have a congressman, 42 years old, no underlying uh, things, and, and he's dead today of COVID. So, you know, when you talk to your wife about the, you know, viruses do mutate, so it's a more contagious form. I guess uh, the viral load is is higher in the, in the respiratory system, uh, but it's not a more deadly um virus is it a deadly virus but it's not more deadly this strain because they always do mutate right. when yeah, they kill the host they can't move on so they do mutate to sort of survive in a way basically what my wife has always told me is that viruses always right, viruses mutate that's what they do they almost never mutate into something that is, that kills more it almost always mutates into something that kills like a, less hey, and but good night, good night honey uh, yeah no exactly <laughs> um but i mean i remember sitting in mo- like the movie contagion with her oh god which is actually an interesting movie great movie yeah um but like in, in other infectious disease outbreak movies and Sometimes she'll like she more or less thinks Contagion did did a pretty good job. But like if she sees something in the movie that she doesn't buy or doesn't think is true or accurate, she gets really, like visibly upset. You know, he, <laughs> he, he, she like, knows too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's Hollywood. I mean, it was in a, if some screenwriter at a pool in Malibu wrote that, that's what happened. <laughs> so all right, let's switch. Let's get back to some soccer stuff. Not that that's not soccer because. You know, your wife might might not be a soccer fan, but it is a global game. And so we are understanding that uh, we are not the world, the United States. And I think it's been a horrible lesson for us here. Um, You know, the game, uh, a lot of things that that the Premier League and other leagues did, we were behind them and we sort of copied them in in lots of ways and and for good reasons. But uh, Sam wanted to ask you a little bit about CONCACAF. Uh, yeah, Grant, I was just sort of lamenting a little bit the CONCACAF Champions League these past couple of weeks. And I know this has been obviously a crazy season uh, for everybody, but I'm just curious what your take is on the sort of, I mean, I don't want to say, I don't want to be mean, but like lack of synergy between Liga MX and MLS and the, the CONCACAF Champions League. And, you know, what, what, you've, what you're hearing about, you know, potential collaboration down the line. 
Yeah, I mean, it, I interviewed Don Garber for my podcast, Football with Grant Wall, recently, and asked him specifically about um, some of the things I had heard recently that FIFA and CONCACAF were open to the idea of a merger between MLS and, and Liga MX at some point. And Garber said that, yes, he had heard the same things uh, about the openness of those governing bodies. But he also said this isn't something that's a merger is not happening next year or the year after. This would take a while for it to happen. Um, and it would be a very complicated thing because you can't have a 50-team league. And, and so we'll see. Like. The merger stuff seems to be being pushed more from the Mexican side than from the MLS side, but MLS like hasn't shut it down, I guess, publicly is, I guess, you know, what they're saying. And so, you know, where does CONCACAF Champions League fall into this is a good question. Um, I've, I, I've, think CONCACAF Champions League should be a bigger deal. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I get frustrated that it's not. I get mm. frustrated that that MLS teams haven't been good enough to win it. And so, like, it would have been cool if LAFC had won this mm -hmm. year. Uh, and they were ahead in the second half of the final and lost. So um, I just feel like MLS, if they say they want to be one of the world's biggest leagues – which is what they say, like, you got to be the, like, you aren't the best league on your own continent at this point. And that's been the case for a long time. So it's a little bit like Charlie Brown running to kick the ball and Lucy keeps pulling it away. That's basically what Liga MX has been doing to MLS and, and CCL now for a long time. Um, but like, then there's the other aspect, because I had the head of Conmeball on my podcast a few weeks ago, Alejandro Dominguez, who sort of randomly went to the University of Kansas, <laughs> Paraguayan guy. Um, and I asked him about the potential of Libertadores, the great South American version of Champions League, including not just Mexican teams like it once did, but MLS teams at a certain point. And he's like, look, we're open to it. I think there's a lot of travel logistical logistical issues that you have to deal with, but I would love to me that would be the best situation at some point is if there could be a, a, a Champions League type tournament in club tournament in the Americas, mm -hmm. and MLS teams would be good enough to compete because that would be pretty awesome. Grail. Yeah, speaking of MLS, Grant, it looks like um, the league and the Players Association are going to be back at the bargaining table, uh, that five-year tentative deal that they had. Um, in the wake of COVID, I guess it's opened up uh, all sorts of issues, and I'd, I'd just love to hear your your take on that and if that was just – if people just knew that was going to happen, and here we are. I mean, I'm not naive about – the financial realities of the situation MLS is in um, and that MLS derives most of its revenue from attendance, gate receipts, as opposed to TV. And you can't put people in stadiums much of the past year and maybe the year ahead. Mm. I don't think necessarily 
that there was enough critical questioning of Don Garber's statement that MLS has lost one billion dollars due to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. One nice, nice big that, round number. <laughs> that, that may that may or may not be the case, yeah. but I don't like. There's other situations like this over the years, usually when there's a collective bargaining agreement being negotiated, where suddenly Garber and MLS will say extreme stuff about how much money MLS has lost, which ordinarily they wouldn't say because it's a negotiating tactic. And personally, I feel that having to negotiate a third collective bargaining agreement with the players in a year is a lot to ask and put some enormous stresses on the players as a whole and their families and all of it. And and what we've seen is the first CBA that was announced back in January there was, it was kind of a kumbaya moment and, and it got announced well ahead of the start of the season, as opposed to four years prior, five years prior. Um, and the players were saying positive things about the whole process, positive things about management. Then when COVID hits and there's another negotiation for a, like for a new CBA and Garber and the owners threatened to lock the players out. That's when things went south. And so the players coming out of that CBA negotiation were in a totally different frame of mind about ownership. And part of that negotiation resulted in this force majeure clause that would allow ownership to tear up the CBA. Man, I hope there's not a test on this because I'm going to feel there's a lot of moving parts. I just like hearing the word force majeure. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I ordered know, some last night at French on Jeopardy. Um, but, but like that's now according to, well, it's, it's now public. I mean, uh, like the MLS owners are going to invoke force majeure. They're going to have to negotiate another new CBA and, um, the relationship between ownership and players, I think is going to get worse, mm-hmm. even worse. And so I, it, when you get into that realm, then, you, then you're talking about work stoppages. You're talking about. Which is pretty amazing, Grant, considering how they got through this year together. Right. They had no I mean, choice, right? Really? No, but I mean, it was still pretty amazing that the season actually reached its conclusion. I mean, right. I thought it was a great accomplishment on both sides, frankly. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think the players went through a lot. Um, and especially like the Canadian teams, but like the whole league, like the, you know, the, all these Canadian teams that basically like Toronto set up camp in Hartford for a few months, Montreal in Hoboken, uh, right. you know, Vancouver in Portland. So, I mean, like it, it was just, I understand why the players are upset because they don't feel like the, the actions of the league have acknowledged those sacrifices. And especially right now, they feel like the league is, is taking advantage of them. 
Boy. All right. So that's a little depressing. So hopefully that, that writes itself. So, so a nice little ask here before we wrap up. Uh, Messi, coming to the MLS every year. They just, you know, we always hear these little rumors of people, but sometimes they pay off. But Messi, I don't know. I mean, he says in this very interesting interview, and Messi doesn't give many interviews. So interview over in Spain this past week that, among other things, he says he's always been interested in playing in the U.S. league. So he's not sure if that'll end up happening. He's, he's focusing, he says, on the next six months, which makes sense. There have been reports that part of the offer from Manchester City included it was like a five-year deal with two years on the back end playing for NYCFC. Wow. Um, That'd be nice. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily that revealing, but the, the one time I sat down for an interview with Messi in 2016, it was funny. We actually had uh, a malfunction of our microphones on our video system. And so that lasted about five minutes. And so Messi and I were just sitting there. And he actually showed some curiosity. He asked me about the soccer culture in the city I was from. And I was like, well, I'm from Kansas City. And I explained how Sporting had rebranded and built a really nice soccer stadium. And, and that had become the thing to do on Saturday nights in Kansas City, which is true. Um, but it, it did tell me that he was curious is, about yeah. soccer in the United States. And not just soccer, but MLS. Um, and we talked about his interest in the U.S. So, like, it, it, last month, I guess, when in that Champions League matchup, when Messi and Ronaldo greeted each other warmly on the field, I think I tweeted something like, you know, 2023 NYCFC versus Inter-Miami, you know, <laughs> yeah. with that picture. And Yeah, Ronaldo's definitely Miami-bound. <laughs> He's got it written Why all not? over yeah. yeah. Why uh, not? I love it. Well, you know, we talked about Freddie Adu and how we tried to just dump a legacy on his back as a 14-year-old kid. But you mentioned Messi now. I think a lot of it has to do with maybe the history in the United States with the NASL and Pele coming here and Beckenbauer and Cruyff and, you know, great players kind of come here and they've enjoyed themselves like Rooney. You know, he his kids went to school. He walked them to school. Sometimes. It was like, you know, it's a great way to finish out your career. We just hope you still got some legs left when you're doing it, you know, like Ibrahimovic or uh, or whatever. So, um, Grant, we appreciate you joining us on OTB, um, scaring us with all the COVID stuff that you know too much about. My God, I'm going to have to take another sleeping pill tonight just to get through this. But um, congratulations on that podcast. As I say, I'm, I'm looking nice. forward to listening to the next couple of installments, and we're going we're gonna to buy Grail a Walkman. So hopefully... <laughs> You can maybe listen to it. I will be doing it all over the holidays. I still got a few days to listen to all of them. Football with Grant Wall and uh, then American Prodigy, the Freddie Adu story. It's fascinating. Uh, Grant, I appreciate you joining us on Over the Ball. Have a great new year, pal. Better 21. Thanks so much, guys. Happy New Year. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, that was great. I always love talking to Grant Wall. Uh, and can't wait to finish this Freddie Adu story. Sounds, uh, sounds good. Yeah, awesome podcast. I recommend it highly to everyone out there. And um, like I said, just gets you thinking about a lot of stuff uh, related to U.S. soccer. And um, well, at one point you mentioned, Kevin, which was interesting about you know, how when you got someone like LeBron, he's got all these greats that he's coming after, right? And right. 
in a way it's, it's easier to measure, you know, the success of someone like that. Cause it's like, okay, will he win more championships or MVPs than Jordan? Right. But with a do, it was like, we needed someone to set a benchmark and like, we, we didn't even know like what that looked like, you know, like, should he be right. scoring 50 goals in an MLS season? Should he be winning like two world cups? Um, so I think it's not only that expectations were like out of control. It's like, we, we didn't know what they were. Right. We didn't have right. these targets. And, yeah. And, with this. So. Go ahead. Grim. No, I was just going to say the sports landscape is just littered with people that have been, Overpromoted SI going, but this was way before you were around, Sam. Uh, Bobby Carpenter, NHL player, the can't miss kid. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He was being billed as the next great thing, and it just it never happened. But he had a good career, though, right? He had, um, he, had a, he had a very he had a solid career. He probably yeah, played for which 15, is tough. Which is overcoming years, the odds as it a is. A little bit more of a journeyman, but again, yeah. you know, the expectations were he was going to be Gretzky or Lemieux or Sid Crosby, you know, and it didn't you know, happen. So somehow that's not good enough. It it, it was interesting. I and I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I read Joe Namath's biography, and growing up as a kid, my father said he was a showboat and all this stuff. Well, you get down to the nitty gritty of the story itself. Um, he was the game. He was as bigger than the game really at the time, and the AFC needed him. Uh, or if it was the AFL at the time, right? AFL. AFL, right? Yeah. Needed him. And, you know, even the players on his own team were, were mad at him, you know, because he was making more money. And he basically was saying to these guys, look, guys, we're the show. We're the show. Before then, the owners had co- sort of controlled everything. So you suddenly get this guy with his long hair and wearing a fur coat and doing a pantyhose commercial. It's, it's better for everybody. He put the AFL on the map. It's no different than people resenting, you know, white privileged PGA golfers resenting Tiger Woods. I'm like, are you kidding me? Tiger Woods has made you more money in the last 20 years because right. of what he's done than you ever would have made if Tiger Woods never came along. Right. Uh, that's a good example. And I also think like we in Americans, you know, talking to Grant, it was like, we do love to be the best. We have the best golfer. Yeah. In the world. We have the best basketball player, baseball, all of our sports, of course, but, but still we're presumptuous we have the best. too. We're presumptuous. We're right. presumptuous because we're America that we're somehow going to be the best. You're right. We're America. Best at everything. And uh, you know, it's just not going to be that way in soccer. All right. So uh, I'm going to be watching Liverpool today, uh, checking them out coming off they dominated that first half and then uh they gave up two points with a tie um what are you guys watching these days sam uh i mean i again i'm trying to take a little time off i did put on the epl broadcast the other day on boxing day and i I don't know i know i'm going to be in the minority saying this but i i just don't understand the point of the nbc sports soccer coverage i mean it is fantastic and Mm -hmm. It looks like an English broadcast. And in fact, when we had John Champion on the show, he was saying, you know, that's how good it is. That could be on in England. So my point is, why does it exist then? We could just watch the show from England, right? So if you're watching a Serie A game, you can't just show the original broadcast because it's in a different language. Right. What is the point of the NBC Sports Cup? To me, it's like, okay, we're going to make a remake of The Office. We're going to set it in Scranton, Pennsylvania but we're going to have all English people working in this office. Ooh, wow. I like that analogy. And then like, well, why is there an office full of English people in Scranton, Pennsylvania? Oh, you're right. Let's put in one American guy. I mean, does that make it like an American show? I, I don't know. It's, it's good. It's great. It's very well done. I just don't understand the point of it. 
look, I'm, I'm happy we have the games to see, but I think you're right in a way. And this is what I've complained about all along. We have never put an American spin on the game. And here you have the English Premier League and everybody's, oh, the English. Let's not say the English, the best players in the English Premier League are not English. The best coaches in the English Premier League are not English. So I don't get why we do the best sports broadcasting in the world. And I, I look, I shit all over this country all the time. I'm not saying we're the best in everything, but the one thing we are really good at is sports. We put on a World Cup here uh, that, that all others did in comparison to we did it in lesser time right so we have the infrastructure here, and it just comes to soccer nobody we don't have the confidence to do it and yet kyle martino was a superstar as far as intellectually and talking about the game and yet yes we have the one token american on there and then let the english i can't understand them sometimes i can't understand what they're saying sometimes i love the coverage i i think you're it's an spe- file. no no i i think it's spectacular i would that's much not what rather- sam said though he said it no. was great but no 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 but yeah. i'll tell you why i think it's spectacular because you have guys who know the game actually articulating what I'm watching and explaining it. And until Americans can do that as well, Tim Howard's doing a nice job, you know, succeeding Kyle Martino. But honestly, I'd rather have a really good, insightful English person getting it right oh, than man. Gus Johnson yelling his uh, nobody's ca- Nobody's comparing you to Gus Johnson. Give me no, a but, break. That, but, that poor no, man. But no, look, if we can find good American voice, look, Alexis does a nice job. There, It's not like there aren't good people doing this, doing good work on Fox. You know, uh, there are people, but I'm, I, I just feel like the majority of the best talent right now, not forever, but They've right now, happen to be English people. I'm coming over the ball on you, man. You better wear Fine. your shin. Or, 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 by the way, other countries too. I'd be, you know, if there's, a, if there's a, if there's a German guy who's great or what, I don't care where they. I come. love that analogy. So you're saying that there are not enough American broadcasters that know how to do this game in an American way, even though we do football, basketball, baseball, tennis. No, they 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 produce it in a great way. To me, I'm talking about commentary, either in studio or in match commentary. I just think right now the majority of the better people at doing it happen to be English. I'm not they're the only ones getting the opportunity. I, yeah, I don't I don't have a problem. It's the English Premier League. I do not have a problem Let's watching with, with I, English I announcers. Americans. But I just I'd who's rather the watch the Sky the Sports I'd rather watch Sorry. the Sky Sports broadcast straight from England. I don't know why Sorry. I need another right. version in Stanford, Connecticut with English people. That's well I mean because it's a business and because they're driving a ton of ad revenue off the broadcast. So, I mean, that's, there's a reason for it to exist. Yeah. Um, he's saying with English but talent, couldn't, couldn't they just yeah. pipe in the, whatever sky sports or whatever channel four is showing in England. ITV? Well, they, I mean, they'll wow. pipe in like interview clips from sky if, if they want to do stuff like I, that, but they want to, I think we there. have a whole, uh, I think we have a whole episode coming up here because this is, you know, we definitely differ. And, you know, I think in your years in England, um, Grail have sort of, I'm totally biased. Yeah, of course I am. I'm, I'm admittedly yeah. biased, but again, I, you know, again, I, I grew up with that, and I grew accustomed to people who knew the game. Who's the guy who's on ESPN who's on with Julie Foudy sometimes who just yells? And again, I'm like, there's the problem. We've got this guy who's in like doing marquee games, and the guy's just yelling maniacally. Well, it, I don't know if he's a former player, but I mean, the pool. you know him. He used to be a studio guy, and now they've, they've now they've got him doing play by play, and he's a former player. Is he English or no? He's an well, he's an American player. I, I think he's of maybe a Hispanic descent. I can't remember. You would oh, know from him, Venezuela. Um... Well, because you know him, because he used to be on. He used to do the pregame stuff. Anyway, 
Yeah. All right, I opened a can of worms here. We can we no, can but save I, I this. I like that. That's a, I think the yeah. office analogy is a great one. So, um, all right. So I'll be. By watching. the way, I hated the American office. I mean, the British office is a hundred times better, but I still think. <laughs> oh, the, there you the, go. The, uh, That's the analogy a holds up. You know, different yeah. demographic, Grail. Different demographic. You no, I loved it, Rick, today, Ricky. Yeah. Rick, you couldn't compare yeah. Ricky to anybody. Yeah. Uh, Sam, you got anything for us? Yeah, today? so I, I got a little quiz. Uh, so we were talking a bit about you know the youth tournaments, um, U twenty World Cups, etc. So uh, I looked, I looked into it a little bit. Um, the U twenty Men's World Cup, formerly the FIFA World Youth Championship, has uh, been held every two years since nineteen seventy seven. I'm wondering if you guys could tell me which country has won the most titles. Spain. I'm going to say Germany. Okay, it's actually Argentina with six. Whoa. Uh, who is the current holder of the U20 Men's World Cup? Japan? No, wait a minute. Let me think about it was this. Somebody, no, it was somebody weird, I thought. I'm going to go with... Take your time. I'm going to go... Yeah, I am taking a little bit too long. I'm going to go with Brazil. Okay, it's actually Ukraine, so kind of Whoa, weird. See, I knew it was somebody. I knew never, it was something. Yeah, never would have gotten Ukrainian that. soccer seems to really be on the, the rise right now. So, Sam, uh, just, that's yeah. an interesting point, though, about Argentina, mm-hmm. you know, winning the most. It hasn't translated into their – necessarily into their, their regular no. cup teams doing well. Oh, they're no, just not at all. players, no. but they just can't put it together. That's yeah. all. That's what's wrong with them. Uh, yeah, they all, what are they just blaming on Messi? You know, it's tough having a Messi. All right, so what what's the highest the US has ever finished in this tournament? Out of how many how many teams? Uh, I think it's varied over the years. I, I think third. Are they expanding? Third? I'm I'm going to say I'm going to say Take sixth. your time, Grail. <laughs> okay, it's actually fourth. Uh, the US oh. US lost to Brazil in the third place game in what year? Uh, so it's know, in let's... it's in odd years. I'm going to say 96? 2015. Actually, 1989. Oh my god! So we uh, we're not yeah, we doing well. Nice. Yeah. All right, that's all I got. All right, good stuff, man. Well, this was fun, and um, it's nice when Grail is so wrong about so many. <laughs> well, I was I think I'm, I'm consistent with the quiz of nothing else. Hey, everybody, let's get over 2020. Uh, next time we'll be talking to you, it'll be 2021. Um, and uh, hopefully better things uh, lie ahead for all of us, the world um, and the game and and, uh, and our families and everything else in between, everyone. Because this is, like I said at the top of the show, 2020 has been an absolute complete shit show. I'd like to thank our guest today. He is uh, the host of Football with Grant Wall and also American Prodigy, the Freddie Adu story. Great listen. Give it a listen. Uh, I'm Kevin Flynn. That's Sam Griswold. That's Grail Hallett. We'll talk to you next time on Over the Ball. Have a great 2021, everyone. 